I really do feel like Salvador Dali when he says, I don't do drugs, I am drugs, because I am drugs. Dickie, it's your mother. No, you never call me. I mean, I wonder, is your finger broken? Just don't tell my mother. It's your mother. 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 No, you never call me. Just don't tell my mother. Just don't, just don't. Don't tell, don't tell. Where the hell are you? You are never home. Hello, my family. Welcome back to Don't Tell My Mother. I'm your host, Nikki Levy, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Don't Tell My Mother is a podcast where your favorite humans from movies, TV, sports, comedy, tell a true story they never want their moms to know, but they get on this mic and they tell us. Happy 420, my friends. I live in LA, so this is like an actual holiday. You know, even McDonald's is getting in on the action. They're selling chicken McNugs. Mm, Delicious. Well, to properly celebrate, we have a really special episode. Today, we have the mother of comedy, my childhood and adult icon, Margaret Cho. Margaret is a groundbreaking actress and comedian. I mean, she created and starred in the first ever primetime sitcom to focus on an Asian American family, ever. And Margaret's telling a story all about her druggy rave days in 1980s San Francisco. Now, this is not the Tech Bro Bay area that exists right now. This is the legendary, historic San Francisco that I wish still was. Guys, this is going to get crazy. Don't listen to Drive. This episode is as wacky tabacky as you would expect from the inimitable one and only Margaret Cho. Not only am I a fan because she's brilliant and hilarious, I'm inspired by Margaret because she has been this incredible stand for Asian Americans in comedy and culture for over two decades. Margaret changed the game and she continues to change it every day. And she's back with her podcast, The Margaret Show, with a special second season titled Mortal Minority. Margaret and guests unpack historic crimes like the 1871 Chinatown Massacre or the fortune teller murders that unfortunately paved the way for the modern crimes that we see today. If you guys like true crime, you are going to love this. Bring out the bowl, get out the munchies. Here is me and Margaret Cho. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Margaret, first of all, just honestly, on a personal note, um, you're amazing. And I'm just so happy Thank to have you. you. Thank you. So where in the world are you right now since nobody's in person and I'm sitting here in my closet, my literal closet? Um, I am in my home in Los Angeles. All right. So we're close, but far. Um, you're an idol of mine forever. One of the most important, funniest comics like of my oh. generation, which is which is our generation. But yeah, like, thank you. I love it. Thank you. That's awesome. 
So this podcast is all about stories we don't want our moms to know. What did your mom or your parents want you to be when you were growing up? I'm not sure. They had very... uh they had very high aspirations to send me to an Ivy League school because that's kind of the trajectory of Korean Americans during the 80s. I think my parents also had a lot of like aspirational whiteness. I remember getting a copy of the Preppy Handbook. The Preppy Handbook? Yes. Stop. Which was a, a very, um, I mean, that is like, Talk about white privilege. It's like a blueprint for white privilege. That, yeah, everybody's a, named a, Chad. It's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's a comedy book, actually. It's not a real book. It's actually not. Um, it's a parody of itself, in a sense. But people took it very literally. And my family, I think, took it really as a kind of stepping stone of to- towards um, aspirational whiteness for Asians, which, you know, like our racial identity wasn't as clearly defined, especially in the 80s, because you didn't have a presence in the media of Asian Americans. So you sort of were kind of trying to figure out where you belong there and where we were. And so aspirational whiteness, which kind of meant horses and madras plaid and summer camp and these kinds of things uh, and good grades you know, advanced classes, um, yes. college level classes when you were in junior high, that kind of stuff. All the AP credits, right? Yeah, very AP, mm-hmm. very honor student. That kind of stuff was really linked to this aspirational whiteness. Did you actually like that style or did you just completely rebel against it? I think I rebelled against it because I became goth. So then I, I went you're into so like astral whiteness into literal whiteness where you're like wearing like the white clown white makeup and then, um, yes. the, you know, the crazy colored hair. And, yes. um, and I was actually, when I was a teenager, I went to London a few times during very pivotal times. I went to London in like 1984 when, um, it was like, uh, goth, new wave everything well, the, it was I was so going to say that's the whole new wave time that's all like yeah. depa- like that's everything it was really exciting and I think in like I went back in 1986 and I went to a goth club in Bournemouth called the third side and it was all of these boys wearing their grandmother's clothes because they didn't have mass market yes. goth clothing so you yes. would just wear your grandmother's clothes which is velvet suits with um Lace collars. That's so sexy, Um, though. It was so sexy. And like a cameo brooch. I mean, it was drag, which I love. And um, yet it wasn't like their uh, sexuality was defined. I think goth was really sort of a default for anybody artsy who kind of didn't understand. And it was also kind of like a code for queerness in a lot of ways, too. Well, yeah, it's like I'm going to dress differently, flamboyantly against the grain. And I'm making a statement because especially, by the way, in the 80s, I mean, you and I are, you know, I mean, in my 40s, we're pretty much, Mm -hmm. you know, I think same generation like that. It it was so expected for us to look like the bad kids in the John Hughes movies. Right. Um, There was that kind of um, it was a cool. It was it was a cool kids. It was like a class system, but also like the goth kids were sort of the outcasts as well. Yes. So kids who didn't fit in and kids who kind of had a sort of an artistic bent who liked to listen to dark wave 
it wasn't so much like Mr. Mr. or like New Wave. It was like Dark Wave, like Susie and the Banshees, which I love. Oh, I love like Susie pure. and the Banshees. I saw I them love. in Chicago in the 90s. Oh, so oh. great. I love well, them. It's so funny because John Cryer produces this podcast. And of course, he was Ducky. He was so... Uh, I mean, he was more like rock. Ducky's more like a rockabilly icon. And I still, I still think Ducky's yeah. gay. Like I still think in my yeah. alternate universe, totally mind that Ducky's gay yes. and that, um, Molly Ringwald's, uh, you know, just there as a kind of, um, he wants to maybe be, you know, she's like a hag. Absolutely. Right. But, She's she's very. I mean, my favorite character in Pretty and Pink is um, Annie Potts. Oh, Annie Annie Potts! I could watch in anything, anything, anytime, she's anywhere. She's great in everything, but in that movie in particular, I think Iona, Iona, or Ione, or something. Her name, not Ione. Um, that's actually another a great actress. Um, Ione Sky. Yep. <laughs> Iona. I don't. I think her name is Iona or something like that. Anyway, she's very memorable, and I remember being like really taken by this, the, this, to me, she was the aspirational figure in that movie. She's, she's Iona. I just looked her up. You're right. Yeah. God, you, you remember, okay. You actually do remember a lot. We'll, we'll oh, get I to remember that later. a lot. Yeah, I do. But the <laughs> other thing I love about your comedy, I mean, I love everything. So I, you know, I, I can't you. even pick and choose, but one of the many, many, many things I love, cause I love, you know, talking about mothers and all the good things they do and all the fucked up things that they do unintentionally often. But your mom is such a big part of your stand up, you know, yes. like your impressions of your mother are known the world over. I mean, <laughs> I think it's one of the things you are known for. How in, how does your mother in real life compare to the mom that we know from your stand up? Oh, I mean, she's very similar. I think that's really I mean, she has a very mystical bent that because um, my mother was um raised Buddhist and then converted to Christianity, but she's never quite like let go of all of the ancestral worship that Korea is about. Cause you know, we celebrate like death days and you kind of have to take care of your relatives after they've died. In a sense, they never stop being a pain in the ass. They always uh -huh. are your ass. Like your relatives are there, whether they're alive or dead, it doesn't matter. In 1978, my parents, um, rented out the newly vacated People's Temple in San Francisco because um, that was the cheapest venue to hold my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary because it was a crime scene. Uh, the place was still filled with the spirits, angry spirits, of the people who had um, died with Jim Jones. And so my mother could see them angry at her for throwing the party there. She could like feel made, them. She felt them. She said they made the food taste bad. <gasps> I'm not good. They, I see the ghosts. Everything was a bad idea. I just thought that, you know, they wouldn't be there, but they were there. Oh, they're so bad. <laughs> Margaret, I could listen to you do your mother all day long. That sounded terrible, but you know <laughs> Is there anything that you like won't talk about on stage. You have any like limits where you say no, I'm not going to No, I touch don't this. think so because my family really are used to me talking about whether it's queerness, whether yeah. it's sex, what because then they're like able to apply it to oh she have a really vivid imagination. <laughs> you know right, they write it off. Yeah. They're like yeah. oh she's a really good writer. Yeah. But at the same time 
they're also very open to things. They own a gay bookstore in San Francisco on Polk Street called a Paperback Traffic. They purchased it in 1976 and then kept it until um, probably the late 90s. My father wanted um, to have a place that was similar to City Lights. And in the back of the bookstore, there were these rolling racks of gay romance novels that had um, like drawings of young men in in their 20s with like cut off jean shorts and like a tank top, like blue tank top. And they were like books named Topaz and Cobalt. Oh my God. The writing slashed across the front and you would see them like by a lake. Yes. And there were these like romance novels that were like Harlequin novels, but they were sort of self-published or small publication houses that yeah. were putting them out. And then a huge magazine rack filled with like Tattoo magazines, uh, all of Ed Hardy's Tattoo Time magazines. Wow. And I think there was like fetish magazines. There was Skin Too. And then on the bottom, it was all gay porn, like Honcho and Charles Atlas catalogs. And um, my father employed a lot of artists and gay um, gay performers who mm-hmm. were doing drag, who were um, getting full body tattoos, who were getting tons of piercings. This was like the heyday of piercings in the 90s, that sort of modern primitives thing. So Good old days. Yeah, <sighs> they were really going with the flow with that. You know, they were like very accepting and very interested. And I, in my um, childhood home, we actually had photographs on the refrigerator of one of my father's favorite employees yeah. who was full body tattooed and he was naked on the beach. And that was on our refrigerator because my dad Stop. wanted to see it. Your parents are like, I got to be honest with you, like from what you tell me, your parents are so open-minded. So open-minded. And the tattoo, the full body tattoo is of monks masturbating. Stop it. Buddhist monks masturbating. And then some sort of like, it's a sort of a a weird um, perversion of uh, Buddhist art where they have monks meditating, but instead of meditating, some are meditating in the scene, but others are masturbating. And there's like penises and semen coming out. And it's on our refrigerator. And I'm 10. But isn't that cool? It's like to for a straight person. uh, I'm I'm, I'm guessing your parents are straight. Who who knows? So yeah, but like, so as straight people and as immigrants and as people who are older to not be threatened by that is is very is very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's really amazing. But it's also (sighs) funny because it's just like, you know, what did you expect that I was going to grow up to be like? If you're surrounding me with these images, but I guess that I'm really that I was intentional. Right, right. Or maybe they'd say we're going to shove this in her face, all the gay stuff, all the open, and then she's going to become, you know, someone from the cool cool kids. Aversion therapy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Margaret, you were going to tell us a story today. Uh, I know your mom doesn't know this and you're keeping it from her. And it's about a protracted time in your life where maybe you were playing a little Russian roulette with your brain cells. Yeah. Margaret, tell us everything. This is the story of how I went from being a genius in Korean, a chunje, to a slow one, chunchani. When I was a really little kid, I was also kind of deemed the family's representation. Like, also, if you're like a child of immigrants, you um, you're always the lawyer. Lucky, like you're the <laughs> spokesperson. Yep. You're the press secretary of the family. You have to answer the telephone and you have to um, kind of just 
operate as family's reps. Like, so I was really like my family's um, esquire, whatever, attorney at law, <laughs> everything. I was representing them in every area, especially uh, doctors. <laughs> so I would have to like oh, relay wow. information, um, make appointments, whatever that is. You know, I'm, I'm like the, the family's um, spokesperson. And so my mother was always very proud of the fact that I was ahead of my years in intelligence. And I, I do feel it. Like, I feel like when I was younger, I was really smart. And, and I could also outsmart them and I can do whatever I wanted. And because my brain works so quickly, I could really lie on the fly, in the moment, like improv. Like, it was very much... <laughs> Whose line is it anyway? But it was very much lying to get my way. And I could really think on my feet and I never got in trouble. And it was very easy, you know, because I did have fairly permissive parents, but they um, were completely uh, under my spell. Right. And it's almost like because they trust you so much, they will believe what you say. They're going to defer to you, maybe. Yeah. So they they wouldn't um, question you know, me sneaking out in the middle of the night because I had somehow explained away the fact that it was really for school and for studying. So that that, there was like this kind of cloak of invisibility I had with my own intelligence that really started to fade when I would do drugs. And I um, started doing drugs when I was about 14. And um, it was like crazy rave drugs where you're really... um, Messing up your brain in the way that uh, my synapses do not fire as quickly as they did. I know that part of that is due to age and probably menopause to some extent, but I know that it's actually due to drug abuse and drug use and in particular rave drugs from Mm. the 80s and 90s. Okay. And in combination. So I would do like old school ecstasy, which wasn't Molly. This was like full MDMA with acid. So those in combination was called candy flipping. Wow. I even had like a metal bar on my leather jacket that said candy flipper. I mean, it was just so stupid. And I (laughs) was really like out there with like glow sticks in a field, um, rolling. So to the point that now when I hear the delight song, grooves in the heart. <laughs> I have a chemical taste that emerges from the back of my neck. It's like my lizard brain releasing this like lysergic acid and MDMA. It's really gross. And my eyeballs start to shake. Tell me how you kind of got introduced to drugs and realized that one could be a genius, super smart, like you are, and also a partier and wild. Well, there was like my father's favorite guy. He really loved MDMA and he had the full body Japanese tattoo. Yeah. The monk's masturbating. Oh, that's him. Yeah. And that's him. And so he, um, but he was not into the social aspect of it. So he didn't like it because um, it made him loving. He liked it because it made him feel, have like mischievous adventures. (sighs) So he would go to a very high end antique store and switch the price tags on very expensive items to very cheap items. Yeah just to cause, wreak havoc, basically. (laughs) He'd leave them for others, though. Yeah, it'd leave them. It was kind of a chaotic good, in Mm. a sense. I'm a chaotic neutral, so I can understand chaotic good and, like, you know, chaotic evil. But so somebody's getting 
something very valuable or has something very valuable that they don't value because, you know, the price tag doesn't mean anything because it's not the right one. So that kind of thing. I mean, this is how Antiques Roadshow is born, you know, these kinds of events. So that's, uh, and he was such a brilliant guy and he still is a brilliant guy. So it seems like you learned from these people at your parents' bookstore. How did these, how did these like smart, gay, artsy humans kind of like introduce you to that world of partying that you ended up getting into? Well, they would take me around. They would take me to um, events uh, and they would take me to sort of very like punk rock um, kinds of drag performances that would happen in like ice cream shops and like places that Ah, you wouldn't ah. expect. Yes. um, Whether it was... uh, uh, wrestling there was like a drag queen wrestling craze in the late 80s in um san francisco so you would see that there was also this sort of very like legendary like um uh gay bars that would have empress of san francisco those drag queen pageants so there was oh, yes. this old guard there too is there a particular drug addled night that is seared in your brain well, my friend, um, she has passed away, but she was always like, her name is Jerry, and she was like very much my drug friend and kind of like a spirit guide when you came to drugs. And we were at this rave. It was in Pacific Heights. It was like a very kind of hoity-toity party rave. And uh, we were there, and I was so high that I actually saw Mastodon in the kitchen. <gasps> and it was really real to me. And I don't really have like, visual kinds of hallucinations like that. But that particular time I was so off of my, off my head on drugs that I saw, I was like, it's a mastodon. There's a mastodon in the kitchen. And Jerry turned to me. She said, well, there's not going to be a mastodon because they wouldn't invite a mastodon to a party. in <laughs> heights. Also they're not extinct. A- <laughs> so it's great. Two counts against the fact that it's not real. Can't be a mastodon. And I'm telling you that it's not a mastodon. But it's a really interesting um, experience to think about, like, actually seeing a mastodon, but in the kitchen. Yeah, chef mastodon. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You know, um, just cooking up some, uh, some chowder in a bread bowl or something. Just don't tell my mother. Just don't, just don't. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And your mother had no idea about this, about this whole drug time. No, I mean, one time, um, 
she caught me smoking pot at the house. It was cigarettes and then we smoked pot and it was like, she was very worried, not because of the drug aspect, but because it would damage my brain. I know that was really the focus of it, that it was like, she knows it's going to make you stupid. And she's just like very worried about that. She didn't care about that. You know, I was sort of being like, whatever, free or lax or that kind of stuff. It was more that it was going to be a brain damaging thing, which she was right. And I really, I, I really am so um, still affected by these drugs that, you know, haven't been in my system for a while. And it's sad because my mother, you know, used to always say in Korean, what genius, the word for genius is chunje. You know, like that was like a major point of my existence was because I was such a genius. Wow. And um, so the the latest um, conversations with my mother now are really all on FaceTime. And when we FaceTime and we Skype or we Zoom, she can see me thinking and she can see my mind working and she's like uh, freaked out that it's so slow. So Chunje is genius, but slow is chun chunny. <laughs> and so it's similar in tone, but it's a, so the chunje has become chun chunny, chun chunny. Like, because she's like, do it slower, do it slower. And she can see my mind working slowly, and I can see the upset in her face around it. Like, and she doesn't want to tell it to herself that I have slowed down mentally because in her mind, Everything is right there. Like my mother's hearing is going a little bit. That's why she has to look at me when we're talking mm -hmm. because it's easier for her to understand me when she can see me speak. But when she sees me speak, I can also see the upset in her face of like, you're, you're talking too slow. Your mind is working slower. That's not what happens to us. We get smarter as we get older. And I feel bad disappointing her, but I, I devoted that part of my brain to adventure and Kids don't do drugs. I mean, I, I really, <laughs> I really hate the whole just say no campaign because it was very racist and it really led to a lot of people being incarcerated when they shouldn't right. have been. Right. And we're paying for that now for sure. Mm -hmm. that, that's one of the causes of systemic racism. And it's one of the problems in our society that we need to un untangle and deal with and unpack fully. Mm -hmm. But the the mentality around that of like, let's not do drugs because it does make you stupid. That's actually kind of true. <laughs> and how long did you go on to party for before you got soaps? Uh, I've had um, a, quite a few episodes, <laughs> but I haven't partied. At, it's probably, I've been sober for quite a few years now. Um, I've had some, the probably last episode was like five years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, I've, I've really hung it up for good. I, I, I really feel the damage. I've done my partying. I really do feel like Salvador Dali when he says, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. Because I am drugs. Does your mom know you're sober now? Yes, yes. Uh, they've tried to visit me. Uh, I was in rehab for a long time. They tried to visit me there, but then they were like scared that they weren't going to be able to get out again. Because um, Koreans in general don't seek mental health help. And um, so my cousin in the 80s uh, once tried to kill herself. And so then her mother 
and her moved into a mental institution together because her mother had to make it all about her. So it's a very much like, um, if you go seek help at a hospital, it's very performative. And I think my parents were trying to avoid that aspect and they were afraid they were going to have to move in with me. So they didn't come. And how does she feel about you being sober now? Oh, she's really, I think, very relieved, but also disappointed because she can see my brain working slower. (laughs) So this show is called Don't Tell My Mother uh, because people, you know, often don't tell their mothers these stories. Sometimes they do. But Mm -hmm. uh, my producer actually, hold on a second. She just, she's chatting me that, Margaret, I think your mom is calling into the show. Wow. Okay. That's great. What do I call her? Is this Mrs. Cho? I I don't even know. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Liza, can you can you let Mrs. Cho on the on the phone? Mrs. Cho, is that you? Hello. Hi. It's Margaret's mom. Hi, mommy. Hi. Hi. Oh, you look so beautiful. Oh, thank you, mommy. Thank you for having me. Hi, so Mrs. Cho, I I'm just I'm you're like an icon to me because you know I love your daughter so much. I feel like I know you. Mm-hmm. Do do you know um Mrs. Cho that Margaret used to be a a big a big partier? I don't know the word in Korean, but like a big a big druggie. Maybe I'll say it that way. Yeah. Uh well, it was no. Uh, sometimes <laughs> Margaret look a little sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> She's she a little sleepy, but just in the morning, and she would just say, "Oh, you know, it's just, it's just comedy show. You know, last night comedy show." So I said, "I said, oh, comedy take a lot, a lot of energy." Mommy, I um, my brain has slowed down because I've done so many drugs. Sorry. Uh, oh, I think you are perfect pace. I understand oh, thank, you. Thank you. I'm glad. That's all that matters. Good. Yeah. And if you want to help the the brain, mm-hmm. just have that lots of tea. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. Mrs. Cho, um, have you ever done drugs? Uh just one time I had just a, a sleepy time tea. <laughs> and, oh. Margaret, what is the best piece of advice that that mommy's given you? The mm, she said always eat many food. <laughs> she eat eat food. That's what she said yesterday. She's like, you have to eat food every day. <laughs> I was like, all right, thanks. I remember. I remember. Yeah. I tell you yesterday, you do so much better, uh, mommy, than I do. <laughs> you do so good. It's so good. Moran. 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 Yes, I remember. And you, do you listen? Yeah. Eat food every day. <laughs> mommy, is there anything else that you want to tell Margaret while we're together here? I am so proud of you. You oh. eat food every day. Thanks, and mommy. Pressure cook. It's good. <laughs> okay. I have to say, Margaret is pulling all of our legs. That is not her mommy. That is her good friend, the comedian Atsuko. Atsuko, thank you for being here today and filling in for mom. How did you and Margaret actually meet? Because I'm wondering if... She was on was... my first co- uh, podcast. And then I really enjoy Otsuko's comedy. So we've done a lot of shows together and uh, had fun. 
both yes. live and in person and also socially distanced. So we had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I was very honored. I said, you play your mom. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't sound like a, like a hate crime. <laughs> no, it was so good. It was so good. You did such a good job. Oh, yes. Was Margaret like formative in your comedy? Like she as was. just such a fucking baller. Yeah. I mean, I bet you hear this all the time, Margaret, all the time. And I'm, you know, and, <laughs> but yeah, for sure, for sure. Cause I was like a church goer and in my teen years and then it was a it was her dvd that someone snuck snuck to me during a sermon and said this is stand-up comedy <laughs> which one was it which one was it it was it was the notorious oh notorious show and notorious ooh, yeah that's a dirty one quite a dirty show stopped going to church yeah you know? <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty like, you know, incredible that they they were it's such a bold statement to say this is stand up comedy. This is what you need to know. And I, it was so funny. And it was, yeah, just you're so unapologetic. So it was it was really it was really cool. That was my first exposure to stand up. Oh, I'm so glad. Margaret, did you know that? I didn't know. But I'm now I know. Thank you, Atsuko. That's amazing. Thank you, Michelle. You, you know, who broke the rules by giving me something so dirty <laughs> during, <laughs> during church. I know during church and all. What a great, what a great, like what a great story and what a great entree it. into stand up in best. church. It's amazing. And it's Margaret. So cool. Yeah. Something that you do, Margaret, that is so cool. And let's go, you know this, but you, for as long as I've known about you and I've lived in Los Angeles, which is like 18 years, you've always mentored up and coming comics that wouldn't ordinarily get the attention they deserve. It's like my greatest achievement is inspiring other Asian American comedians. So I'm really yeah. proud of that, you know? So I, I think it's wonderful. If you could tell yourself something when you started in the 80s, what would it be? Just don't worry and don't do drugs, but not in a just <laughs> say no way. Just don't do them. <laughs> or do them and stop. Or do no, them and stop. Do. Or just do them um, in moderation, maybe. <laughs> Or just do them one at a time. That's probably the, be the better advice. Just do them one at a time. You know, you don't have to do it all at one time. That's, you know, key. I know. Moderation is so hard to do in moderation, isn't it? I know. I know. It is. One last thing. Is there anything you would tell your mom? Either your real mom or Atsuko. Either, either mom. Um, I, think, I think it's just that the, those brain cells are not coming back anytime soon. But it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. It was like there was an excess maybe. So maybe now it's just normal number. Now it's good. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Atsuko. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Cho. I Thank love you, you guys so much. So, 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 so much. I, I will not do any drugs, but that's because I don't do them anymore either. And I'd love you guys to take me out. Will you do it? Yeah. yeah. If it's not one thing, it's, it's your, your mother. mother. Margaret, how would you say that in Korean? It's because of your mother. It's like that. That's what I said. Oh, I love that. That's good. That's good. Yes. Folks, thank you so much for listening. That was amazing. I absolutely love them. We have awesome, awesome guests coming up. News, exciting announcements. Keep up with us on the socials. Instagram at Don't Tell My Mother and our website, DontTellMyMother.com. And if you like what you heard, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't Tell My Mother is created, hosted, and executive produced by Nikki Levy, my daughter. The show is executive produced by John Cryer. Oh my God, I love him. And 
Lisa Joyner, and Jody Zuckerman Weiner at Discam Sushi. Our producer is Liza Glukoft. Co-producer, Andrew Condon. Mixed and edited by Donovan Bullen. Theme song by Donovan Bullen and Joe McKenzie. Distributed by Acast. And go call your mothers. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.